Ecclesia is a new church trying to live out the way of Jesus in Princeton, New Jersey. We pray this teaching invites you to love Jesus and people more deeply and to embrace the full life that Jesus offers each one of us. Grace and peace to you. This morning's scripture comes from Genesis 28, verses 13 through 15. And the Lord stood behind, beside him and said, I am the Lord the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land of which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Jason. Well, good morning. It's so good to see. uh, We've had some friends that are coming back now and some friends that are here for the first time. So we are so grateful you're here. My name is Ian. Uh, I'm the pastor here. Uh, We are a brand new church. We've been meeting for almost four and a half months now. And so if you've ever had kids and you know what a four and a half uh, month old is like, you kind of get a concept for that. And if you haven't had kids, um, four and a half month olds are awesome. They're so fun. You sleep all the time. It's amazing. Um, But we've been in this series on Jacob. And one of the things I love about Jacob's life, and I should just say too, like the kids are great. I love hearing them. You don't have to, you can stay in here. We always say that. Um, So if you're distracted by the kids, we like the kids more than you. So we're just But one of the things that we see in the life of Jacob is that God doesn't try to use perfect people. He doesn't try to wait for the right saint to come alongside. He comes to the world as it is, not as it should be. And so we've been in this series, and I've just been really uh, personally um, just kind of immersed in this Jacob story. And it's been such a gift to me, and I hope it has. For those of you who have been following along, who've been here every week, I hope it's been a gift to you. Uh, But today we want to kind of land the plane here. Uh, on the Jacob series. We're going to start a new series next week uh, focusing on Paul on Mars Hill. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. But today we want to land the plane on this Jacob story. And one of the most complicated questions that anybody has ever asked me is where are you from? Because for me, I moved about 20 times in my life. Uh, I moved all over. I've, I've lived about in every state in the Bible Belt. So I've just been deeply, deeply formed by this really rich part of the country. Um, and it was about seventh grade, and my family moved to Oklahoma. And that was the last time that I moved. And if, if any of you have ever moved, and, and maybe you've moved in your life, the worst time to ever move is in middle school. Because middle school is like this Lord of the Flies, like subhuman thing going on. And I, I say all this in full knowledge that we are meeting in a middle school right now. So we're in like this really occupied territory. But for me, uh, where I'm from has always been sort of a complicated thing. And for you, maybe today, maybe you are new to Princeton. Maybe this is your first time kind of walking these streets. And, And you feel that disconnect between where you're from and your home. And just trust me, if you're new to New Jersey, you will figure out very quickly that New Jersey is not wherever you are from. Now, if you're from the South, I just want to give you a couple pointers. Don't look people in the eye. Just don't do it. 
Don't say hello to them if you don't know them. They will ask you, what do you want? Okay, so just all the niceties, all the things that you feel like you need to do, you can check them at the door. You basically have free reign to ignore that everybody else exists. So welcome to New Jersey. We're so glad you're here. And for me, I think about that question of where I'm from. And I, I thought about this today, actually. I lived in Oklahoma from the time I was 12 to when I was 22. That was 10 years. I moved here to New Jersey when I was 22. I'm now 34. I am, like, I think I'm from New Jersey at this point. I've lived in New Jersey longer than I have lived anywhere else. And for me, this place has started to become home. And as we finish this Jacob story today, we want to focus on this concept of home. You see, we've been in this Jacob story, and the Jacob story is a story that tells the truth about life. It is a story that doesn't, uh, it is sober-minded about failure, about disappointment, about dreams deferred and abandoned, about betrayal amongst family members, about brokenness, and the kind of fear and anxiety that causes us to try to wrestle control of our futures, to take control and agency away from God. And the, in the arc of the Jacob story, we see often the disastrous results when we try to secure the future for ourselves. When we think that God is not really good, when we think that he doesn't have enough, then we step in and we try to make it happen. And what we see so often is that God is just trying to cultivate a life for us where we trust him. But Jacob's story, as it tells the truth, it doesn't just tell the truth in terms of darkness and harshness. You know, I think about this a lot. In novel and story settings, People think to tell the truth that you have to, to completely lean into the bleakest realities of human nature. Um, I, I, th- I think it's one of the reasons there are so many like crime dramas and mysteries. Like people just want to tell really dark and bleak stories. And you know what? I think it's kind of easy to go dark. Like it doesn't take a lot of creativity to sort of uh, construct realities where people are doing the worst thing possible. But you know what's really hard to do in a compelling way? Like for me, I really like music. I don't like happy songs, right? Like happy songs don't tell the truth. Like something that's saying life is great and sunny, I'm like, ah, not for me. I don't think so. You know, I want to listen to Jeff Buckley sing Hallelujah. And so for you guys, I don't know. I don't know if you have the same brokenness that I have, but I think it's easy to, co- to paint in one color, but it's hard in a compelling and believable way to tell the whole truth, to acknowledge that yes, there is disaster and pain in this world. And if you opened your, your news app this morning, I haven't done it yet, but I'm sure there is some brokenness of today that is meeting us as we wake for each morning. But as we acknowledge this, The gospel story, the story of this beautiful Jesus coming to us acknowledges that yes, there is death. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is betrayal. This is all Jesus' story. But within that story, there is resurrection. There is newness. There is possibility on the other side of death. Not in a way that cancels out death. Not in a way that acts like, oh, it's all going to be okay. It's totally fine. Jesus goes through it and overcomes it and overwhelms it. And in the Jacob's story, in my estimation, tells the whole truth. It tells it as Emily Dickinson instructed us that we must. She says, to tell all the truth, but tell it slant. 
Success in circuit lies, too bright for our infirm delight, the truth's superb surprise. As lightning to the children eased with explanation kind, the truth must dazzle gradually or every man be blind. Jacob's story is a slanted story that dazzles gradually, slowly awakening us to the reality that surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob's story is a wrestling in the night where only as the dawn approaches do we begin to suspect that we may have been wrestling with God all along. That even if we were to make our beds in the depths of despair, that God is there. He is meeting us, fighting for us. Jacob's story is a story of self-discovery as he receives a new name. His full name, beyond the reductive labels that, that society or culture would place upon him. And friends, today... As we land this plane, I want to refract the light in another way to invite you to trace another major thread in the sacred tapestry of Jacob's life. Jacob's story is a story of, of a promise made and a promise kept. A promise that God would bring Jacob home. Jacob, er, Jason read for us in Genesis 28. I'm going to read that again, starting in verse 13, just through verse 15 here. And the Lord stood beside him, Jacob, and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now this is the moment in Jacob's life, and we talked about this in detail a couple of weeks ago, where Jacob first sees God. As the Lord appears to him in a dream, and he sees this ladder that ascends and descends between heaven and earth. And notice what God says to him in this moment. Jacob receives two promises. First, he receives the same word that his father and grandfather received. That God is going to bless him. That God is going to multiply his life and create through him a great nation. But second, Jacob receives a promise that is specific to his own situation. For Jacob, as we discussed a couple of weeks ago when we covered this story, he is on the run. His brother Esau wants to kill him because Jacob has deceived Esau. He's deceived his father Isaac. And look at what God promises as Jacob is fleeing his homeland. Jacob is fleeing everything that he's ever known. And God promises him here in Genesis 28 as he appears to him for the first time, I will not leave you and I will bring you home. For Jacob, this promise of homecoming is so central to his story. Uh, I hope you've been following. Uh, the New York Times has done this incredible compilation over the last month that they've been releasing it called the 1619 Project. And what they're doing is they're lamenting and commemorating the 400 years since the first slave ships appeared on the Virginia coastline. And within that compilation, there are essays, uh, literary works, and photographs that are trying to unpack this story that represents both the worst that humanity can do to one another and the way that those who were victimized by the institution of slavery, both the original Africans and their descendants, have triumphed through resilience steadfastness and their faith in Jesus. 
A friend of mine's a, a pastor from Madison, Wisconsin. His name is Alex G. And I've, I've had the pleasure of walking around Princeton actually with Alex. And he was a part of a group that traveled to Ghana, tracing his own roots as he sees the harsh monuments of the slave trade on Africa's west coast. And as I've followed his journey on social media and I've sent him a couple of text messages, two moments in particular have struck me. And I'm gonna put them up on the screen. I think the one picture is a little hard to see. First, Alex was uh, participating in a ceremony in a, in a dungeon where they used to hold slaves that they were readying for sale. And this ceremony, he receives this white mark on his arm that marks him as a victorious descendant, as one who journeyed through the other side, who, as one who's, who's seeking and searching for his home, who's come back. And he found, in this ceremony, he found this significant meaning. And the second one, he participated in an ancestry reveal ceremony where he learned of his own specific heritage and geographic provenance. You know, one of the real disasters and realities of this horrible uh, thing that was done to these people is, is, is for so many people, there's this like cutoff point where they can f- trace their lineage. And for so many, so many people, so many of our uh, African-American friends, so many of them feel like they, they've uh, literally got a piece of their history missing. And for Alex, he was able to trace this piece. And Joanna, you can put that picture of the ceremony up. And he was able to see and to hear that his family is from Guinea-Bissau. That his family's line traces back to this incredible place in Africa. And it's been truly incredible for me as a friend of Alex to watch Alex as, as an emblematic of a person who've had their, their homes stolen from them, who were ripped and removed from their homes to recover it. In the defiance of purpose and resilience to return and to reclaim their home. Friends, ours is a refugee age. People are longing for home. Both the nearly 25 people a minute who have to flee their homes because of violence or instability. And in the West, there are a growing number of people whose lives feel untethered to any larger purpose, to any bigger narrative. We are told that we should never experience any unfulfilled desire, never have any unanswered questions. We should never be lonely or hungry or bored because literally there is an app for all of that, right? The Christian pastor and and thinker Mark Sayers writes that feelings of exile and alienation abound in our day and age due to the promises of our culture being taken to their logical conclusion. Sayers says this, he says, this growing sense of dissatisfaction in our time is growing in proportion to the promises of our Western consumerist culture, which have promised to deliver us both social and personal utopia. Previous ages understood that happiness and lasting pleasure might be elusive, yet now we inhabit a media-drenched landscape in which endless promises of improvement accompany us throughout our lives. Emptied of the transcendent, we now reach for reduced visions of the good life, from the quest for physical health to the quest for safety and emotional security in an increasingly risky world. Sayers is highlighting there's a dissonance in the promises of our culture. Our culture says that nothing external defines you. You can make your home to be whatever you want it to be. That decline, aging, disappointment, failure all cause bad feelings and bad feelings are by at all means to be avoided. Our culture promises endless entertainment, fulfillment, and pleasure and has told us that when we have those things, we will feel 
content. That we will feel shalom, that we will feel at home. And the reality is that what we see is quite the opposite. What we see is an increase in anxiety and isolation. So Ecclesia, where do you feel it? Where do you feel that sense of longing, that ache to be at home, to be in a place where you are accepted and known? Where do you long for home? Maybe you've dealt with great loss, a death of someone close to you, and home for you has been altered forever. You feel like a part of your house was just demolished and somebody just took plywood and, and uh, peeled over it. Maybe you feel isolated. Like you don't have any real community, that nobody really knows you, that home for you is this idea, but it's not a reality. Maybe you look at the world and you see, you look at the 13 million people that had to flee their homes last year, 2018. You observe the suffering and the pain, kind of this large scale meta uh, thing that's going on, and you just can't help but feel like home has got to be somewhere else. Jacob and his story was alienated from his home by his own deceptions, by his own schemes, by the violence of the world, by unforgiveness, by a broken family. And what we see in Jacob's life and what we see in the promises of God is that we long for home. We long for beauty. We long for justice. We long for something eternal. And our world promises that if we just keep fulfilling these little tiny desires, that will find it, and it just never seems to work out. C.S. Lewis says in his sort of classic treatment on this in Mere Christianity, he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must make it the main object of life, to press on to that country and to help others do the same. You see, Jacob was forced to flee the home of his childhood. But through it all, God's promise to him, Genesis 28, I will bring you home. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised to you. And I want to focus on this promise for just a moment. I will bring you home. What a promise for a refugee age, for a decade of displacement. Listen, Ecclesia, God has promised so many beautiful things. We sang of the peace that he promises to us, this peace that is a promise that he keeps. He's promised us goodness and mercy and justice. He's promised us, Jesus has promised us suffering, that to follow after him is to take up his cross. But as he promises to Jacob here, the fundamental promise of God is that he will be with us. That through everything that we go through, we see this in the life of Jacob. No matter how largely Jacob has blown it, God does not leave him. God does not wait for him to figure it all out. God comes to him again and again. I will bring you home. This is the promise that God has for us. And all of this, this whole story, this Jacob story that unfolds in Genesis begins in a garden. A garden where God walked in the cool of the evening. A garden of abundance, of purpose, of beauty, of being naked and unashamed. And the result of the first sins of Adam and Eve's disobedience is exile. Alienation from home. 
From that moment on, we are at odds in this world. We hear the echoes of Eden, but like thunder in the distance, we cannot trace it to its source. And through it all, God keeps breaking through. He will not give up. He will not stop coming through us. He crosses every distance. He crosses the borders of exile, saying to us, I am the Lord your God. You are not forgotten. I will be with you, and I will bring you home. And what we see in the life of Jacob is this promise of homecoming is a promise that he keeps. In Genesis 35, Jacob returns to his homeland. He is reconciled to his brother Esau who wanted to kill him. God brings him back. And through every twist and turn in this Jacob story, through every failure, deception, what we see is that God is always there always coming to him, always paving a way forward. No matter what God receives as the circumstances, God takes them and he turns them and he weaves his grace and he works a way forward for Jacob. In the midst of the brokenness of the world, peace is God's promise. His presence is peace and peace is a promise that God keeps over and over again. Friends, God keeps his promises. He will bring you back home. And Ecclesia, home is not just our future hope. Not just when we find ourselves face to face with Jesus as heaven and earth are forever redeemed under the reign of our beautiful Lord. It's not less than that. But it is so much more. God's promise to Jacob is his promise to each one of you that he will bring you home. That in the end and in between here and there, he will be with you every step of the way. And what we see in the life of Jacob is the place where healing happens, the place where restoration is found, that place that Jacob moves toward and he longs for is home. Jacob had fled his home, as we saw in Genesis 28, because Esau wanted to kill him. And now as he moves back to his home country, he is terrified that Esau still holds a grudge. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. He sends all kinds of things, trying to placate Esau, trying to say, I am so sorry, please do not kill me. But as Jacob approaches Esau, Esau runs toward Jacob, not to harm him, not to inflict revenge upon him, but rather to embrace him. Genesis 33 verse 4. It says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. This family that had been broken by Jacob's schemes, that had been broken by what Jacob had done, is now restored by grace. Home is now built anew. And Jacob, awash in the incredible grace of his brother, remarks, seeing your face is like seeing the face of God. The face of God, the shape of home. Friends, for many of you today, if home is where God is, you feel like you would not be welcome there. But what Jacob's life is telling us, what Jacob is telling us as he wrestles through his own inconsistencies, his own uh, hypocrisies, as he goes through those things, Jacob is telling us, that the face of God looks like a warm, tear-filled embrace where one would expect to find condemnation, one finds welcome. And if you're feeling riddled or, uh, with guilt or doubt this morning, the promise that God gives to Jacob is for you. Come home. I will be with you. Jesus tells a story in Luke 15 that says that God is like this. A father who lovingly 
welcomes home a son who has betrayed and abandoned him. God's promise for you holds true. He will bring you home. He will be with you every step of the way. And what we see in the life of Jesus is that he will make a way. In John 14, Jesus is promising to his disciples. He's sitting down to a meal with them. And he's saying that I I'm going to come to you. I'm going to make another way. And he's saying he's going to go away, but he's going to send this Holy Spirit, this mysterious and wondrous presence of God to be with us in everything of our life. And Jesus says to them, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a home for you. And Thomas, who always asks really good questions, asks, Lord, how do we get to that place? And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Friends, Jesus himself is our home. Jesus himself is the way to that place. He says later in John 14 that if we respond to his love in our lives, if we keep his word, if we keep drawing close to him, he is going to keep coming to us and keep making his home with us. Jesus on the cross is alienated, exiled, and abandoned so that we might be brought home. His hands outstretched on the cross embrace the entire world. His nail-scarred hands tell us that there is nothing in this life that will prevent him from bringing us home. No matter where we ache, no matter where the longing finds us, he is resurrected. His promise holds true. He will bring us home again. Those of you who, uh, you know, have ever been around little kids, I, we have three in our home. Um, I, I could hear my middle daughter singing that Living Hope song from over here, uh, which was incredibly, just incredibly rewarding. Uh, she has no, no thought to pitch, but uh, fervor and volume are all hers. And if you've ever spent time around little kids, you know that they sometimes fixate on kind of interesting things. And our oldest daughter, Evie, right now has this thing with graves. <laughs> so... In our neighborhood, there's there's an old Presbyterian church that has a graveyard, and we walk by it, and she goes, Graves! And part of me is like, okay, psycho, all right. But she's been watching this this Disney special, and again, I've talked about this before, but my kids have no, uh, no respect for seasons, and so we watch Christmas movies and things year round. So right now we're watching this Disney special that is just like every creature and thing from the Disney universe is like gathered at Mickey's house for Christmas, as they do, apparently. And uh, one of the little uh, stories in this kind of larger thing is a story about Ebenezer Scrooge, A Christmas Carol, Charles Dickens's tale, and uh, it's Donald, right? Donald's the duck in Disney, not Daffy. Yeah, right. Donald is Scrooge, and, you know, they tell the whole story. And there's this ghost that appears, the ghost of Christmas past, that appears in a flame. And Evie, with her fixation on kind of death and dying, and turns to me and goes, Dad, when you die, will there be fire? (laughs) It's like, sheesh. I was like, is this like, is this conviction? Like, I, I hope not. And Honestly, it was one of those moments where, like, if you, if you talk to any parents, you know this happens so rarely. But I, I, I kind of answered in a way I was like, oh, that's pretty good. I said, no, honey, when I die, it'll just be Jesus. And, and as she asked that question, I, I couldn't just help but think about the promises that God makes. And we focus so much on the pain and the ache of this life. And guys, I feel it. 
as your pastor, I, I feel it. I feel your stories. I've, I feel the pain with which you experience life. I, I, the things that have happened to you, I, I, I wish I could rewrite. I wish I could erase. But what we see in the Jacob story is that he promises us that he will bring us home. That that promise is sure and secure, not just for us, but for everybody in our lives. That Jesus can keep his promises because he has endured the cross. He has gone out the other side. He is resurrected and alive. And at the end, as Evie asked me, I just couldn't help but reflect that he himself is my home. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And his promises are secure for you. And they are in the future, yes and amen. But they are also for right now that he will not leave you. He will not leave you until he has done what he has promised you. And his promise is that he will draw near to you for now and all of eternity. C.S. Lewis in his retelling of the myth, Until We Have Faces, he says, the sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from, my country, the place where I ought to have been born. Do you think it all meant nothing, all the longing, the longing for home, for indeed it now feels not like going, but like going back. Friends, that ache that you feel, that ache that you feel for things to be as they should be is not an accident. It is God himself saying, I have put my stamp upon you and I want to draw near to you. And what we see is that through it all, through this Genesis to Revelation story, God is keeping his promises. And in Revelation 21, he gives us a glimpse of what that looks like. The writer of Revelation, John, looks and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea, the place of evil, the place of chaos, was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, see the home of God. The home of God, friends, is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God and they will be his peoples and God himself will be with them. Do you see the thread? Do you see? He's going to bring you home and he will wipe every tear from their eyes. I love this picture because it doesn't discount that life was hard, that life was painful. But what it says is that God is going to come. He's going to make you, his home with you and that he himself will wipe every tear away. The death will be no more. Amen. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I make all things new. Also he said, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Friends, God keeps his promises. Jesus is inviting us to see that the Jacob story is not just a story about Jacob. It's about God. It's about the way that God works in the midst of joy and disappointment and brokenness. To see the face of God as Jacob sees the, the face of Esau and he finds not revenge, but he finds an embrace. To see the face of God is to see home. That God himself is weaving together a tapestry of grace. That his hope is sure and settled. Jesus is alive now and forevermore. That he has promised that he will bring you home. And he will, to the place where you belong. 
And throughout every day, just like Jacob, with all the twists and the turns, all the places you wish you would have done it better, he will not leave you. Let us pray. Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. God at home for so many of us is such a fraught topic, whether it be the people that are associated with it, the memories that we built there. God, there is beauty and there is pain wrapped up in it. But what we see is what we see in the life of Jacob. God, that nothing will stop you from coming to make your dwelling in our midst. That nothing will stop you from overcoming Jesus, and that we have this hope, this sure and settled promise that you will be with us every step of the way. And so God, this morning, I simply pray that we would know it for ourselves. God, that it wouldn't be a promise for others, that it wouldn't be just a nice idea, but that it would truly be our story, God. That we would truly see our lives and our stories wrapped up in yours. Jesus, where we feel the ache and the longing. God, where we feel brokenness or guilt. Where we feel those things that would exile and alienate us from our homes. God, where we see that you are running toward us. Not with condemnation, Lord, not with judgment, but with your steadfast and never failing love. God, that never stops coming to us. God, where we hear this good news and know that it is our story that you are the way, the truth, and the life now and forevermore, and you will bring us home, and you will never leave us until you do. Jesus, we love you. We pray all these things in your name, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information, please visit www.ecclesianj.com.